Hello, Senior Pastor. Good to be with you today. Morning, Pastor. Good to be here, too. God is good. God is definitely good. Um, we're going to continue our study um, regarding the letters of Paul, and we're going to be looking at uh, Christ and his church. As we always do, we divide it into three sections, Christ and his church, uh, taken from, uh, well, su- supporting scriptures, Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 23, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. The second section um, is about Christ's coming, and we're going to uh, look at some of the supporting scripture there, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 12, and then finally, we're going to look at pastoral care and instruction. First Timothy 6, uh, verse three, verses 3 through 12. Uh, Second Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. Uh, um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And then Titus, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now, we're going to analyze and apply God's instruction through Paul to the church. That has kind of been our emphasis, um, that we're going to analyze his letters and we're going to see God's instructions and then we're going to apply it to our lives. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18 says, uh, Jesus is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. We continue to explore Paul's letters to the churches, which constitute a significant portion of the New Testament. Most often, Paul sent these letters to individual churches to address certain conflicts, correct erroneous doctrines, and give instruction in righteousness. And those three uh, bullet points, so to speak, Um, still apply today. Um, These letters that Paul wrote continue to address certain conflicts. They continue to correct erroneous doctrine and give instruction in righteousness. Now, in Paul's second letter to Timothy, he wrote that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching or reproof for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So basically, all Scripture is not up for debate. Mm-hmm. All Scripture serves Amen. a purpose, mm-hmm. right? We're not, you know, as, as John the Revelator says, that we're not supposed to make changes to the book. Right in its entirety, as it was canonized, we ought to take it in its entirety because it is profitable to us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training, right? So that we may be found competent. We may be found competent and equipped to do the work of the Lord. Now, 
when Saul of Tarsus cried out to Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and it's, it's a very fascinating story, um, a fascinating account. And if you ever get an opportunity um, after this, it's nice to kind of go back and, and see um, because Paul um, or Saul at the time was up to no good, right? Um, but when he cried out to Jesus on the road to Damascus as to what he would have him do, he could not have known the far-reaching effects of such a cry of surrender. Saul was an antagonist to the gospel mm -hmm. of Christ, a Jewish zealot and a notorious prosecutor or persecutor of the fledgling New Testament church, meaning that he didn't like them. Right? He, he was not a proponent of what they were doing. He was, uh, he was opposed to the preaching of the gospel. Um, but we recognize that he became Paul through this, his Damascus experience, as we always uh, title it. Uh, he became a protagonist of the gospel, a Christian evangelist, a teacher, and leading figure in the newly established church. The ministry opportunities God placed before him and the fiery trials that accompanied the call shaped him into perhaps the most influential leader in, the ch in church history, second only to Christ himself. As church leaders circulated Paul's letters among the churches after his death. His writings were accepted as inspired and acceptable to the canon of Scripture. So Paul had a direct impact on the church, especially in the first century. And we learned so much from him. We gleaned so much from his letters. And it has provided us with much information, especially regarding administration, um, evangelism, uh, pastoral work, um, and how to treat other people, especially those that are unbelievers and those that are in different faiths. Um, he pretty much provided a roadmap. Uh, for us so that we can follow um, and provided some structure that we can follow as we start establishing churches around the world. So he was uh, an incredible figure, an incredible resource and tool that God used, especially in establishing churches, um, especially in the infancy of the early church. So we're going to look at it, uh, Senior Pastor. We're going to turn it over to you, Christ and His Church. Amen. And it's such a beautiful lesson, Pastor. Um, I'm enthused by it. I'm motivated by it, and I hope those who are listening this morning will get the motivation as well, because we need to be inspired by the things of Christ. And don't you just love Paul's letters? They are so, so rich, so spirit-filled, you know, warning, instructions, teachings, preaching. 
And um, we are just grateful for the time when Christ saved him and turned him around. And he's telling us today that whatever situation we have, if you're not saved, Christ can turn you around. Your, your situation is not hopeless. Christ can turn you around and make you into what he wants you to be. And note that the headline says Christ and his church. Christ and his church, not ours, to understand and operate his church. We must know and experience the fullness in Christ. So I ask you this morning, do you know him? And let me just give you a guideline to the letter to the Colossians. It says here that um, Paul didn't plant this church. Epaphras did, and Epaphras was a prisoner of um, Paul when he was in prison and perhaps was there when this letter was written in jail. But um, Epaphras lived in that area of Colossae, and we find that many of the church members were Gentiles like we are, and some of them were being influenced by strange religious ideas and practices. We find that in Colossians chapter 2, 16 to 23. They, some of them thought that to obey God fully, they had to give up certain physical desires and worship angels and other spiritual powers. But Paul wanted them to know that Christ was with God in heaven, ruling over all powers in the universe, ruling over all powers in the universe. And so their worship should be directed to Christ, not to angels, not to anybody else, but their worship should be directed to Christ. Paul quotes a beautiful hymn that explains who Christ is. He said, Christ is exactly like God who cannot be seen. He is the firstborn son, superior to all creation. God himself was pleased to live fully in his son, and God was pleased for him to make peace by sacrificing his blood on the cross. So that was the gist of this lesson, the reason for this letter to them. And he says that we must live in the fullness of Christ. Chapter 1, 15 to 20. Verse 17, we pick up at verse 17. And he says, he is before all things. He, Christ, is before all things. And by him, Christ, all things consist. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn, from the dead, that in all things ye might have preeminence. Now, it is not easy to define the heretical movement that arose in Colossae, or like most philosophic thought, it was filled with esoteric teachings, an esoteric 
means that they taught only to select individuals. And sometimes their teaching were private and not, not public. We got to watch, watch for those when things are done in private and it cannot be public. Ultimately, this complicated inconsistencies. This heresy challenged the supremacy of Christ by elevating angels as intermediaries between God and man. And we know that Christ is not angel. They also develop a dualism, which, number one, embraced the idea of sub- subduing the flesh through rigorous self-denial. Number two, view the body as completely contemptible. The first view, known as Stoicism, led to unwarranted sacrifice. The second branded Epicureanism encouraged licinious living. And I look at that word, Pastor Ho. It says mean loosened behavior. Means overstepping bounds. And I, I say to us today, who might be guilty of this, loose, loose behavior, loose attitude, that you respect yourself. Respect yourself. Come on now, ladies. Come on now, men. Respect yourself. You might not have the world's riches, but respect yourself. Respect your body. Don't sell yourself short, because God is faithful. And we are told that to seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all his righteousness, and everything will be added. No matter what you're going through, little is much when God is in it. T.I. Schofield noted, pure Christianity lives between two dangers ever present. The danger that it will evaporate into a philosophy. And um, philosophers are not, not Christians. They are ungodly people, most of them. But he talk about that it will evaporate into a philosophy and the danger that it will freeze into a form. Now, let's, let's be careful that we are not guilty of having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And we see a lot of that happening. People have a form of godliness, but they don't know Jesus. It's just a form of godliness. You talk to people, and everybody is going to go to heaven, and everybody is saved. And some people are even saved more than you are. You know, they will tell you that. But let's, let's be careful. Let's be careful. The rapid rise of what has been called Nazism, the teaching that ultimately, and um, Nazism means um, that we, you know, denied Christ's preeminence. But Paul placed urgency on this, to turn the minds and heart of the Colossians Christian to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, we, we must not be guilty of dabbling in, in things that doesn't matter to Christ. You know, we must not just sit down and have discussion that does not um, help us to do the work of Christ because what it leads to is that we, we, we have 
feelings and against each other and we don't like each other. Let's, let's, let's turn our minds to the work of Christ. He called Jesus. Paul called Jesus the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, meaning he is the visible manifestation of deity and the heir of all things. Being the creator of all things, he necessarily existed before any creature or substance came into being. And we know this because he said, before Abraham was, I was. He had no beginning. He had no end. Not only did he create all things, he created all things for himself. And we went through this earlier this year. All things were created by him and for him. And the things we have are just borrowed. They are not ours at all. Paul identified Christ as the head of the church. Make a note of that. Christ is the head of the church. Not Pastor Ronald, not Pastor O, but Christ is the head of the church. So when we try to hurt the church, we are hurting Christ. When we say we are leaving, we are leaving Christ because he founded it, not man. He is Lord and Master, and from him all authority and all blessings flow. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. The Father was pleased that all the fullness of the Godhead should dwell bodily in Jesus Christ. Christ's preeminence rested on the fact that he was full of God because he is God. Amen. In him there was fullness of power, fullness of wisdom, fullness of love. And in his fullness, we find justification, enrichment. We find comfort. We find liberty. We find joy and completeness. Oh, yes, my friends, you are complete in Christ. We are complete in him through his having made peace through the blood of his cross. Praise the Lord. And through his being, through his being, the head of the church, we can have peace with God. Now, we have the buildings of God. We turn to Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. Now, therefore, says Paul, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Verse 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Praise God. What a wonderful saint. We must know who we are in Christ. We must know who we belong to. In this passage, Paul expressed the relationship in which believing Jews and Gentiles find themselves uniting Christ in three figures of speech. And here they are. We are citizens of the commonwealth. We are members of a household and stones of a temple. Oh, yes. You are important to the building. You are important to the building because we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. In these three metaphors, three fundamental human relationships are suggested to the state, 
as a subject, to the family as a child, and to God as a worshiper. Let me repeat that again. To the state as a subject, we are subject of the commonwealth, citizens of the commonwealth. And to the family as child, members of the household of God. And to God as a worshiper, we are stones of the temple. We are there to worship God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. We are joined here with Jesus as we travel on. Then he talks about sojourners, strangers, and pilgrims. We were residents. Listen to this church. We don't belong here. We're just passing through town. Amen. Most of us are, are Jamaicans. And we get citizenship because we apply for it, but we are still Jamaicans. And we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth, residents with restricted rights. When Paul related that concept to the Ephesians, former spiritual life, the meaning was clear. They knew what it is to be on the outside. Amen. They had to stay outside of the, the tabernacle. They couldn't go in, couldn't go into the holiest of holy. But in Christ, they have full rights in God's kingdom. Come on. Full rights in God's kingdom. They were now members of God's family. Amen. Paul's choice of word is significant. There were two words for temple. One applied to the structure in a general sense, sense and might be used of the whole area, including the outer courts. The other, the other word, the one he used, was restricted to the temple proper. That included the most holy place where the Shekinah glory had been, and you couldn't go there, my friend. But thank God he has broken down the middle wall of partition. You don't have to stand out of the tabernacle anymore. You can push the door and go right into Jesus. You don't have to go to the priest and let the priest make sacrifice for you. You can go straight to Jesus. Oh, praise the Lord. Straight to him. Verse 21 and 22 comprise a statement which has far-reaching and mysterious implications. He compared the church to a temple in which God is taking up his abode. God dwelt in Solomon's temple in a manifest way. But the manifestation was a means to the end, and we have been using that quite a bit. The temple was the point of contact. The temple was the way of approach between God and man. Is not the church to be, through all the ages, the vehicle of the manifestation of the grace of God to the entire universe. He says, no man cometh to the Father but by me. And if he's the head of the church, oh, yes, my friend, everything is manifested. It's the vehicle of the manifestation of the grace of God to the entire universe, regardless of whatever you have done, regardless of whatever sin, regardless of whatever you have done through God's grace, we can be a part of God's church. Yes, Jews and Gentiles alike. And the, the church must function. And what are the functions of the church? Ephesians 4, 
verse 11 through 16, and we don't have time to read it verse by verse. You'll have to do some searching on your own. And this is what Paul said as he make up the function of the church. And he, Christ, gave some, and notice the word gave. He gave, not you take it, but he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. I don't know what, what role you play. I don't know what category you're in. But you're not in the church. You just sit down and fold your arms. And we have been saying this. You must work. You must be involved in something. Apostles, prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Not everybody will be an apostle. Not everybody will be a prophet. Not everybody might be an evangelist, although we are in some way and should be in every way. Because if you say Jesus said you're an evangelist and some pastors and teachers, why? What's the reason for this? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Don't just sit down and say, oh, me just an usher. No, 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 no. You're there for a reason. There are differing opinions concerning the term apostles used here. Some churches believe it refers only to the 12, along with perhaps certain others who had seen the resurrected Christ. As for the word prophet, some churches teach the offices past, that prophecy is complete. We know that's not so. Conversely, other Bible interpreters insist the two offices remain in effect today. However, more important than our particular understanding of apostles and prophets, is the teaching that God, and listen to this again, write that down, mark it down. God has gifted, oh church, come on, here it comes again. God has gifted every believer for the benefit of the body of Christ. If you're just teaching the kids, you are a gifted person. Amen. If you're just a prayer warrior, you are gifted. It all goes to benefit the body of Christ. But now Christ has set the members, each of them in the body, just as it pleased him. And the reason for this, my friends, is that he has gifted everybody. Nobody owns the gift. He gives you the gift. Because if we own it, when we leave the church, all the gifts are gone with us. But he gifts us according to the measure of our faith. Therefore, whether someone is endowed with the gift of apostolic ministry, or grace with a calling to speak prophetic words, or called to be an itinerant preacher, or a pastor teacher, the object is the same. It's for the equipping of the saints, it's for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Amen. So don't boast about it. It's given for a reason. All of us have a role to play. I call on all of us this morning to use our God-gifted gift and calling to equip the body of Christ. Stop, stop playing around. Stop fooling yourself. Stop saying this, oh, you know, you, you think you're hurting, Pastor? You're making a sad mistake. You can't hurt me. You can't even hurt the church either because God just find somebody else and raise up stones to do his work. But I don't want to be left out. I want to use my gift 
to praise God and to help somebody else and to do the work and the service and to build up the body of Christ. Amen. All the various spiritual gifts operating within and through the church are employed under the direction and empowerment of the Holy Spirit to gather the harvest, to lead believers to a deeper understanding of biblical truth, develop spiritual maturity, maturity, and to enlighten the body of Christ. I don't know where you stand right now. I don't know what you want to do. What are you doing for him? Let us pause. What are you doing for him? What are you using your gift to do? You think he just allow you to go to school and get a good education to just boast about who you are? Amen? No. You must, where you are, shine and work for the Lord. Stay with your church. Be in touch with your, your pastor. Be in touch with your leader. And whenever, yeah, you're in school and you have other things that you do sometimes at work, but when you get a chance, come into the service. When you get a chance, call somebody and witness to them and build up the body of Christ. We are there to develop spiritual maturity and to enlighten the body of Christ, to speak the truth in love and harmony with the body and every part, making it this necessary contribution. The ultimate goal on the reach to the return of Christ and the resurrection of the body is the complete sanctification of the believer, which Paul refers to as the perfect man unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Oh man, I could preach something on that all day. But William Heaven said, it's an organism, not an organization. Come on, and they always tell us that. The church is not an organization. It's an organism made up of flesh and blood members united by covenant. The church is an organism, not an organization. There is a vital relationship between Christ and the church, both partaking of the same life, just as there is between the physical head and the body. We cannot, and listen here, write that down. We cannot join the church because anything that you join will pop off, will break off. We become members of the body of Christ through a united covenant. Amen. We cannot join the church as we would a lodge or a mere human organization. We must be partakers by faith of Christ's life before we can become members of Christ's church. In the true sense, as the head of the church, Christ is his garden and director. He is the source of his life, filling it with his fullness, the center of his unity and cause of his growth. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We, we should know what we are in and who we belong to and work faithfully because we are not in an organization that will break up and that will fall apart. But we are in the church, the body of Christ. And he's coming back again. And Paul talked about that, about Christ coming. That should excite us. So here is something exciting. Take it away, Pastor O. Amen. Thank you, Senior Pastor. And, and I think your topic is, is so important. We may need to explore it, uh, you know, further at a later date, Christ and his church. Um, but Paul also talked about uh, Christ coming. 
And um, when we look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, it says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And this segment is entitled, Sorrowing with Hope. Um, Paul did not suggest believers refrain from sorrowing over the death of loved ones who have died in the Lord. Or weeping is for or loss and not for the ones who have gone to be with the Lord. Although we sorrow, or sorrow must not be excessive, like those who have no hope of a better life. The hope here meaning the hope of the resurrection. We who are in Christ are strengthened and encouraged daily by this blessed anticipation, and we anticipate the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But there are people that are going to go on before us or friends, or family. Um, And we pray that when they die, they die in the Lord. Because it will be a terrible judgment if they don't. That's why we stress that we ought to uh, go into the world and preach the gospel. That's our mandate. That's the mandate of the Christian. Because we don't want anyone to die without hope. Amen. We cannot allow our families and our friends, our brothers and our sisters or our children to die without hope. That's an indictment against us as believers and an indictment against the church. So we must, um, at least I urge each and every one listening, to make it your personal responsibility, your personal goal, to witness to everyone. If they don't accept your witness and your testimony and your urging, then that is on them. But try your very best. We are to try our very best <laughs> to witness to each and every one in our circle. And then we look at the rapture of the church, which is going to be quite an exciting time, at least for the believer. For the unbeliever, maybe not so much excitement. But in First Thessalonians four, reading from verse fifteen through from verse fourteen, sorry, through eighteen, it says, For we, for if we believe that yes. Jesus died and rose again, oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So you're seeing here that those that sleep have hope as long as they die in Christ. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. And we're going to talk a little bit about this. Uh, a little later. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them 
in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and Praise so God. shall we Hallelujah. ever be with the Lord. Hallelujah. Wherefore, Hallelujah. comfort one another with these, with these words. words. Mm. That is an encouragement to all of us. Mm. That there, as we talked about last week, a change is coming. Amen. Our hope in Christ for the future rests on our faith in Christ for the past. That is, we hope in the resurrection that yes, is sir. to come. Let me yes, say that yes. again. We hope in the resurrection that is to come. Because we believe Jesus died and yes. rose again 2,000 mm. years ago. That is our hope because of our belief. After Paul had given the reasons, our faith and our hope, for not sorrowing over the ones who had died in Christ, he proceeded to give the order of the second advent, the second coming of Christ. He said, for the Lord himself, not a patriarch, not a prophet, not an angel, but Jesus our Savior personally shall descend. Two angels stood near as the disciples of Christ watched him ascend into heaven after his resurrection and declared, this same Jesus who has taken up from you, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus will not send another in his place. Amen. Right. Jesus right. will not send another in his place. He will himself return for us. I go to prepare a place for you. And where I go, right, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Christ will descend with a personal shout. Yes, the voice of the archangel will resonate and the trumpet of God will ring out. Amen. He's coming with all glory and all power and all authority, and we await his return. What will follow these sounds of his coming will be unlike anything that has ever happened before. And I often think about, you know, if you live in an area where you have airplanes flying over your house, as, as I am, oftentimes you hear, you know, from a distance, um, you hear something. And then all of a sudden, as it gets closer to your house, it gets louder and louder and louder. And I wonder, I often wonder, is this how the second coming of Christ is going to be? Oh, man, this is going to be an amazing time. And I hope each and every one of us that are listening um, try to make it. Just try to make it for those asleep in Christ will rise from their graves to join the living saints, and together will ascend to heaven. Because of the magnitude of this momentous event, we have no logical point of reference. It's going to be unique. There's nothing mm -hmm. that is happening or has happened that will um, reflect what is going to happen at this moment. Although the Spirit has revealed to us the truth of what God has prepared for us, 
we still are unable to imagine the beauty of heaven and eternal life. Finally, Mm -hmm. Paul wrote that we should comfort one another with the word he had just written. So you may be discouraged, but we we comfort one another. Um, When we read, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Um, It's going to require the Lord himself to come. He's not going to send an angel. He's not going to That's send right. anybody else. Right. He is, it is so important to him that he's going to leave the portals of heaven to come here to receive you unto himself. What a wonderful and happy time wonderful. that will wonderful. be. Uh, uh, so we also look now at the manifestation of the Antichrist. And we look at Second Thessalonians 2 verse 1 and 2, and not many people like to talk about the Antichrist. But Paul here laid it out to the the church at Thessalonica. He says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. And I'm going to quickly take some time, if I can, to really read um, this portion, because I think every single sentence and every single word in particular um, is very important for us to grasp, especially in this time. Paul warned the Thessalonian believers Paul warned them, as is now we are being warned, right? Not to be agitated in mind or troubled in spirit. And I'm telling you, it is very easy to be troubled in spirit. Thinking the day of the Lord had come or was present. And this is something that we have taken for granted over the years. Oftentimes you talk to an unbeliever and you hear them say, oh, I've been hearing that Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming from I was a young boy or I was a young girl and he hasn't come yet. Oh, I've been reading about it for years and years and centuries and centuries and he hasn't come yet. But their misunderstanding of the Lord's coming, the the Thessalonians, had given rise in them to a measure of panic because they weren't sure, because they were hearing about the day of the Lord, or the end of the age, or the end of the world, and they found themselves in a panic. Unfortunately for us, we find the opposite. We don't take the word of the Lord seriously, and so we find everybody going about their lives, doing whatever they want to do, saying whatever they want to say, and they don't take this warning seriously. Paul sought to correct this error by noting the day of the Lord would be preceded by a falling away from the faith and by the revelation of that man of sin who would oppose God and try to supplant Jesus Christ as the true Lord. So he was giving them indicators, saying, hey, when you see this, then you know that the coming of the Lord is near, the day of the Lord is at hand. Yet with all the fierceness of Satan's wrath and with the 
unrestrained deceptive tactics employed by him, God will ultimately consume Antichrist and his influence. Still, the spirit of the age that manifests itself today throughout our culture will, at some point, give rise to the revealing of the son of perdition, the Antichrist. In the process, many will be deceived who refuse to receive the love of the truth. And we're seeing that, you know, unfold in front of our eyes. To these who reject the truth, God will send judicial blindness, my goodness, that will cause them to accept as truth the words of Antichrist. People will call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light and light for darkness. Now, let me ask those that are listening, aren't we seeing that unfold right in front of our eyes? Aren't we seeing evil being called good and good being called evil? Aren't we seeing that people are putting darkness for light and light for darkness? It's unfolding right in front of our eyes. Scriptural error contributes to the darkening of the human soul. So it ultimately takes pleasure in concepts and behaviors that God hates. Concepts and behaviors. I want you to tuck that away in the back of your mind. Concepts and behaviors. Because there are people that are um, gravitating to concepts and different types of behaviors right? Concepts and behaviors. Uh, you used to even rely on a dictionary to give you an accurate meaning of a word. You cannot even rely on dictionaries anymore Amen. because they're changing the meanings of words. Again, consider it. Concepts and behaviors. Interestingly, people who reject the Bible are often quick to accept anything other than the Bible. That is why such people frequently find Christ-denying religions palatable because they reject the truth of Jesus and find pleasure in unrighteousness. God blinds their minds so they will believe a lie and be that. And we find that in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 11 through 12. So we see here there is a, a growing need to discover, to be enlightened, to find things out on our own. That, that has always been something that has been missing in our life. And we find that people constantly, they are, they are eager to find um, a solution to their problem. They, 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 are, they are leaving the church. They are leaving the, 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 the precepts of the Bible. They are trying to figure things out on their own, and they are turning to false teachers, to false prophets, to false um, pastors, to false congregations that uh, celebrate uh, things that are in contrary to the word of God. And this is something that we are seeing unfolding. Again, concepts 
and behaviors. Tuck that in the back of your mind because that is going to become even more real as we get older, as we start seeing the transitioning of, of um, you know, anti-religious movements and anti-biblical doctrine. All these things are, are, are setting the stage for the Antichrist to come forth. So we need to be aware. We need to be aware of what is going on around us, not only in our local communities, but also around the world. A lot of these things are unfolding, and we need to make sure that our heart is right with God. All right, Senior Pastor, Pastoral Care and Instruction. Praise the Lord. And this is, this is a very important topic, pastoral care and instruction. And if you became a member of Sunshine Family Worship Center or Sunshine Family Ministries, Inc., that's what we have, we have said, that as pastors, we will offer you pastoral care and give you instruction to the best of our knowledge and ability. We do it through the Word of God. Um, some haven't seen that, and um, I've come to realize, Pastor Ho, that sometimes you have to allow some people to get it on their own, you know, because the words that we, we have been teaching them will come back. So sometimes you just have to leave some people and let the Word of God dwell in them and let whatever is preached and is taught to them come back to them sometime because if not, we reach the point of ever learning and never able to comprehend. And I'm saying all of this to say that we cannot just feed you with milk all the time. You have to get up and eat meat. If not, you, you are retarded babies. You know, the baby can't creep all the time. He must walk. And um, I've, I've told you the story already of one of my overseers, Bishop Graham, from Jamaica, who said when they were living in England, they had the shady lamb. And their daughter um, made many efforts to touch the lamb. And they know that she would get burned, but um, she would never listen. So one day they said, okay, let's leave her alone. And she touched the shade, and it burned her, and she never touched it again. So, you know, people, sometimes you, we, you have to mature on your own. Let the words of God dwell in you richly. So if you are left on your own, it's because we are telling you the same thing over and over again, and you're not getting it. But, you know, we are here to offer pastoral care and instruction. Some people want it. Some people don't want it. Some people know more than you and I, Pastor Ho. So good luck to you, blessings to you, you know. But um, hear what, what Paul said to young Timothy, who he was grooming. And he talked about health and wealth of true religion. Oh, what a good topic that is. Health and wealth of true religion. And if, if we bring that individually to our own self, we know what we need to do to be healthy. And health gives wealth. And here's health and wealth of true religion. First Timothy chapter 6. And before I get to verse 11, let me just whet your appetite here. Paul says, 
you are a slave. You should respect and honor your owner. This will keep people from saying bad things about God and about our teaching. If any of you slaves have owners who are followers, you should show them respect. After all, they are also followers of Christ. And he loves them, so you should serve and help them the best you can. These are the things you must teach and tell the, the people to do. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Anyone who teaches something different disagrees with the correct and godly teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those people who disagree are, pro are proud of themselves, but they don't really know a thing. Oh, boy, their minds are sick. You tell some people that now, and they like to argue over words. They cause jealousy, disagreement, unkind words, evil suspicions, and nasty quarrels. They have wicked minds and have missed out on the truth. These people think religion is supposed to make you rich. Oh, and we have so many preachers preaching that now. The truth is that you are rich in Christ. But for tangible thing, you might not get rich. I said it earlier. You might be poor, as poor as can be. But oh, in his sermon to, on the mount, he said, Blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. These people think religion is supposed to make you rich. And religion does make you rich by making you content with whatever you have. Paul says that. I am content with whatever I have. We didn't bring anything into this world. And we won't take anything with us when we leave. So we should be satisfied just to have food and raiment. People who want to be rich, and here's the warning, sunshine. People who want to be rich fall into all sorts of temptation and traps. Because you're always pushing to get what you don't have. Some people are just looking at what other people have and you don't know how them get it, you know. You don't know what they do to get it. And um, I want you to be rich. I want for God to provide for you. But it might not happen the way you want it to. So don't stretch your neck over the fence to get anything. Because seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything. And I can tell you that, everything. I'm a testimony of that. I am not rich, but I think I'm rich in Christ. People who want to be rich fall into all sorts of temptations and traps. They are caught by foolish and harmful desires that drag them down and destroy them. Remember, the love of money causes all kinds of trouble. It's the root of all evil. Love of money. Some people, he didn't say if you have money. He said the love of it. Some people want money so much that they have given up their faith and caused themselves a lot of pain. But listen to how Paul said, what Paul said to young Timothy. He said, but thou, verse 11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things, and it means woman as well. Flee these things. Follow after righteousness, godliness, 
faith, love, patience, meekness. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Oh, praise God. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and hast profet- profess a good profession before many witnesses. In other words, Timothy, you belong to God. So keep away from all these evil things, things that would blind your eyes. Try your best to please God. Did you please him this week? Did you please him last week? Did you please him last month? Did you please him through the election campaign? Try your best to please God and to be like him. Be faithful, loving, dependable, and gentle. Fight a good fight for the faith and claim eternal life. What was happening here? The church was faced, Paul was faced with the challenge of warning the church because of false teachers. Um, there were false teachers there sowing discord and discontent, um, creating a climate of conflict and displeasure. However, the believers, because of these false teachers, grew careless in their spiritual walk and became captivated with novelty and cultural fad like the Athenians, who spend their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. This we must guard against. Why? Because it leads to controversies, misgiving and disagreement rather than to peace and harmony. Instead of such disputing, believers, sunshine, we must seek contentment, not in money or material wealth, because you might get it and don't even live to enjoy it. You might get that big house and don't enjoy it. You might get that car you want and don't enjoy it. Sickness might come, God forbid. Something might happen and somebody else will enjoy it for you. So don't let anybody rub anything over your face. You know, don't worry about what we don't have. Not everything that glistens is gold. Some things are just fake. So don't let anybody rub that across your face and tell you how you're going to have this and they can give you that. I, I always love Pastor Ho, the scripture about Moses choosing rather, and people don't like that word, suffer to suffer affliction. But that's where we was, choose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season Yes, somebody else might have all the world good to give you, but is that what the Lord wants for you? Is that what he wants you to be? God, control your life. The earth and wealth of pure religion rests only in the forgiveness of sins, obedience to a master, and the laying up of treasures in heaven. Praise God. In verse 11, Paul exhorted Timothy to run away from worldly things and pursue True riches instead. Again, I said, you might get it and don't enjoy it. So run away from worldly things and pursue true righteousness instead. The list of six Christian virtues, and that's what they're called, virtues, group themselves into pairs. Righteousness and godliness, faith and love, 
patience and meekness, all fruit of the Spirit. They are all pegs. Oh, yes, that make up the, the orange. Righteousness and godliness refer to God's law in relation to Christian duties towards God and people. This is not imputed righteousness, for Timothy had already received that through God's judicial declaration. Rather, it means to live soberly. Oh, let's look at that word, to live soberly. Have you been sober? Have you lived soberly? Is there anything that you have done that was not soberly, that was not sober, that was not righteous, that was not godly? Anything, anything that goes contrary to God's word. We need to check up on ourselves. Don't allow pastor to check you. Check your own self. Know if you are in the faith. Know if you are pleasing God. Faith and love are two foundational principles of the gospel. Faith is the root principle as well as the sustaining principle of the Christian life. While love both influence faith is influenced by faith. Faith worketh by love. Although Paul wrote that we are justified by faith alone, clearly love is the abiding principle that leads to good works. Patience and meekness bring peace and calm in the face of criticism and adversity. In this life, there will always be detractors and antagonists who withstand truth and proponents of truth. How we deal with them? has much to say about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Operating under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we are able to return good for evil and blessing for curse. When patience and gentleness rules our life, we are able to influence the outcomes of any conflict. Oh yes, my friend, let us live soberly, let's live righteously, let's live godly in this present world. And these are wise exhortations. He says in Second Timothy 2, verse 1 to 7, Thou therefore, my son, and I'm saying that to sunshine this morning, sons and daughters, be strong. He's capping everybody and call your sons because you could not be here without the man. So he group everybody together. Therefore, my son, but it means daughters too, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Paul encouraged Timothy by calling on him to be strong. And Pastor, we're going to ask you to do C and D. Be strong. But to say to someone who is discouraged, be encouraged, never seems sufficient for the moment. The difference in words of the apostle is that he had in Christ Jesus. So be encouraged in Christ Jesus. Are you sad this morning? Be encouraged. Are you down in spirit? Be encouraged. Amen. Do you know what to do? Are you sick and don't know what sickness you have? Be encouraged in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness, healing, strength, peace. And assurance come to our Lord. The grace of Jesus Christ is the inward power which enables us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Sunshine, sunshine, members of sunshine, all those who are listening, 
of the Christian faith. Be strong. You can't be a weakling all the time. You cannot be failing all the time. You cannot allow the devil to be dragging you down all the time. And, 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 and you know, you, you, you don't even do anything about it. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Move a step beyond encouraging his son in the faith. Paul calling Timothy to take what he had learned from him and pass these doctrines along to other faithful men and women oh, who will be able to teach others. This is the process whereby the body of Christ is established and the means whereby it grows. This is not only transmitting the faith, it is transmitting the ministry of teaching to others, qualified to teach through spiritual knowledge and maturity. Now the apostle challenged Timothy, and I'm challenging you this morning. Myself and Pastor Ho challenge you this morning to be a good soldier, not a bad soldier. They are good soldiers and bad soldiers. They are good police officers and bad police officers. They are good friends and bad friends. But be a good soldier of the cross and a worthy athlete. He noted that to obtain good soldier status. An inductee could not allow the affairs of this life to ensnare him. Whether you have something or you don't have him, have nothing. Be a good soldier. Again, Paul words come back. I learn in whatever state I am. To be content. Oh, praise God. It's better to go to heaven with nothing than to go to hell with everything so that he may effectively serve the one who enlisted him. Nor can an athlete obtain the mastery in a contest unless he plays by the rule. This is wise counsel from the apostle who called upon Timothy. Consider his words, assuring him that God would give him understanding in all things. Oh, yes, my friends, I hope you are encouraged today. And we need to be encouraged because perilous times shall come over to you, Pastor. Praise the Lord. Praise Amen. The Lord. Perilous times shall come. And Paul uh, encouraged Timothy. Um, and challenge him to be a good soldier, as, as, as our senior pastor just told us. To be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Right? But he had to make Timothy aware of the dangers that were to come. And so, Amen. in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, Paul did a, a very good job, I believe in kind of outlining the dangers that were to come. And he said, this know also, Timothy, that yeah. in the last days, perilous times yeah. shall come. Hallelujah. He didn't say it has come. He said it shall come. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying this to all of you, that perilous times shall come. And then he went into, not necessarily specifics, but an outline of the things that Timothy needed to be aware of, needed to look for. He said, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, 
disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, uh, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And senior pastor actually mentioned this earlier, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And then he said, listen, from such Timothy, turn away. Right? Run away. So we can summarize these elements in this manner. Selfishness, arrogance, defiance of human authority, defiance of God, savagery, pleasure-seeking, and religious formality. And that last one hits the church very hard. Mm -hmm. Religious formality. Everything is too formal. We don't allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do, especially in our services. Everything is point A to point Z, and we don't allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. Um, But although we often use this portion of Scripture to highlight the characteristics of the last generation, Paul did not strictly refer to this era. Rather, he spoke of conditions that Timothy would encounter in his time. And then he encouraged them, just turn away from it. Don't even give it a second thought. Don't entertain it in your evangelical or evangelistic uh, life. Just go about, right? Go about doing what God needs, to, needs you to do. Um, although, the, although these attitudes describe every generation, they especially define the mindset that will prevail during the last days of the dispensation of grace. And we, again, we can see it happening, um, and we ought not to be discouraged because these things must come to pass. Again, using that phrase, shall come. Perilous times shall come. And uh, to Titus he wrote, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. In other words, we didn't deserve his mercy, right? But by his mercy, according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we see this overarching theme um, that Paul always go back to Jesus. He always redirects his readers back to Jesus, back to the cross, back to salvation, back to the resurrection. And as we see Paul writing to uh, his fellow laborers, his sons in the faith, we too must take notice that we must go back to Jesus, go back to the cross. Um, Essentially, Paul emphasized that the duty of believers in relationship to other people is to respect authority, respect each other, and respect ourselves. So if you don't get anything else from this lesson, you must respect authority, respect each other, and respect ourselves. Uh, As important as good works are, they do not make a person good. 
Amen. You can do all the good you, you can or all the good you want to. It doesn't necessarily make you good, and it doesn't save you. That is an important point. It does not save you. It is not by works of righteousness that we find salvation. Instead, that new life must come from within. They always say that song, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. There's a change. There needs to be an affirmation of your faith. There needs to be a confession that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he's coming back again. That's what Paul was trying to direct and trying to tell uh, each of his readers, um, especially encouraging Titus, um, one of his sons in the faith. Um, Paul always focused on lifting up Jesus. That's something that I, 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 I gathered from this lesson. Paul always focused on lifting up Jesus. Um, When Paul wrote his letter to the Philippian church while incarcerated in Rome, he spoke more from the perspective of a prisoner of Jesus Christ than he did from the viewpoint of a prisoner of the Roman government. When others perhaps bemoaned imprisonment as an attack of Satan, Paul wrote, but I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Again, redirecting his focus back to Jesus. Paul understood his calling, and we should also understand our calling. And in closing, we see that Paul understood his calling was first to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, initially to the Jews, but mainly to the Gentiles, and second, to establish believers in the faith. At the heart of every facet of this apostle's life, we find Jesus. And my question to you, my friends, in closing, do we find Jesus at every at the heart of every aspect of your life? Do we find Jesus at in every aspect of your life? Do you always return to the resurrection? Return to Jesus. Paul said John said, and I, if I be lifted up. That's what Jesus said. If I be lifted up from the earth, draw. I will draw all men unto me. And it's a reminder to all of us that in every aspect of our life, if Jesus be lifted up, he will draw all men. We don't have to do it. We just have to return to the cross. Right? Down at the cross where my Savior died. That's where we need to return to. And so we, as a body of Christ, have a responsibility to lift up the name of Jesus. Lift him up and allow him to be in every aspect of your life. Let 
people see Jesus in you? Senior pastor. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. I hope that everybody enjoyed this lesson today. I hope that you have gotten something from it. The words of the Lord comes to us. The Spirit of God is speaking to us today. And we need to trust him. Be not to your own understanding. I want us all to make it to heaven. And I want us to walk the straight and narrow. And Pastor Theodore Parker said, and this just caught my eye, let men laugh when you sacrifice desire to duty. Let me read that again. Let men laugh when you sacrifice desire to duty, if they will. You have time and eternity to rejoice in. Praise God. What a wonderful note to end off on. You know, let men laugh when you sacrifice desire to duty. What God calls you to do. Again, we could go back to Moses and even Paul. Paul gave up a lot of stuff to preach the gospel. And so much we. You have desire for great things, but is that the will of the Lord? You have desire to be rich? You have desire to do that? But does it fit into the gift that God has given unto you? Are you doing what he wants you to do? Or are you selling out for something else? My friends, you have time and eternity to rejoice in. When that day comes, when he comes with his hand, full of reward, pay every man, hallelujah, according as their work shall be. Will he say to you, well done, the good and faithful servant, Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many. Some of us have some catching up to do because we have laid down the gavel and we have stopped working. Some of us, some things that the Spirit is moving us to do, we have laid it down for something else. What kind of reward, what kind of pay are you going to get I want to see you get a good recompense of reward. And I, I want heaven to take notice today that we challenge you, myself and Pastor O and all the other ministers, and some are, some are ministers too, who are not doing what they're supposed to do. But I challenge, we challenge you today that you have time and eternity to rejoice. So if you have to make the sacrifice for duty, I heard you. I call upon you. Perhaps you might have to give up a lesson. Perhaps you might have to give up a job. Perhaps you might have to give up a career to work for God. Let him speak to you today. And when you hear his voice, I want you to answer him. Because I must work the workers who must send me while it is day, hallelujah, for the night cometh. I believe I'm talking to somebody this morning, somebody who is struggling. What will thou have me to do, Lord? His Spirit is speaking to you right now. Don't see it as a failure. 
Don't see it that you are nothing. Don't see it that other people run ahead of you. And what is my life coming to? God has you in the palm of his hand. Father, bow your heads, everybody. We prayed this morning. We have imparted your words that as you have given them unto us through the anointing and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we have done that which you have laid on us. As Paul encouraged young Timothy, so we encourage the believers today. Somebody need to hear your voice. Somebody need to respond to you today. Somebody need to know that, oh God, you're calling them to active duty. And we, we don't have time now to be involved in things that does not benefit you and your church. Oh God, we pray today that you will lay upon our hearts the urgency of the situation, the urgency that Christ is coming and people are dying in their sins. People are on their way to hell. Oh God, and you're calling upon us this morning to turn around. Oh, it was Jeremiah who said that he felt like he didn't want to preach anymore, but he felt the Spirit, oh God, like burning fire upon him. I pray that the urgency will be upon us today. Your church needs workers. We need workers. For the fields are ripe, already for harvest. Oh God, send laborers and laborers into the vineyard. There are some people with talent and their gift. Oh, God, and instead of working for you, they are mindful of other things. They are mindful of their situation. They are mindful, oh, God, of making it rich and making it big, and your work has been neglected. But I pray today that you will speak to us. Oh, God, that you will listen to your voice. And we will answer the call. We will answer the call. Oh, God, we pray today. Have mercy. Have mercy upon us, those of us who are called by your name, those of us who need to work the works of Christ who has sent us. While it is there, look what you did. You gave up your life. Oh, God, for us to rescue us. And look at us. We want to enjoy everything in life without making a sacrifice. We call today, we call today, we make an appeal today. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will search, search out the congregation today and raise people up, raise people up that will carry the gospel. Oh God, hear us today. For those who are not saved, we pray for them today that they will be saved. Oh, God, help us to rest the perishing, to care for the dying. We thank thee today, and we pray that these words will not go in vain. We pray, bless myself and Pastor Ho to do the job that you have called us to do. Help others to stand with us. Some have run away. Some are mad. Some have laid down the gavel. But in the name of Jesus, we pray today that you will lay upon us the responsibility to do the work of Christ. 
We thank thee for hearing us today. And we give praise and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank the Lord. Amen.